0: Welcome to this episode of Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess. I'm Eric. And I'm Angie. We are married with a ton of kids. We have six
1: kids total. He has three, and I have three. My name's Hallie, and I love riding horses.
0: I'm Lexi, and I love agriculture. My name's Carter, and I love eating. My name's Chase, and I love lifting weights. My name's Summer, and I love spending my parents' money. I'm Dane, and I love baseball. Our show is about our blended, blessed, and always a mess life and our hope is if you find yourself in the same situation we are in that by sharing our story all the fun and all the mess challenges we are experiencing it will give you some inspirations laughs and community knowing you are not alone in this mess
1: we appreciate you spending time with us let's dive in
0: Welcome to this week's episode of Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess. It's our very first Part 2 episode because last week Lynn Roush joined us. And if you haven't heard that episode, I highly encourage you to check that out before today's because Lynn is an LPC native of Chicago who attended the Moody Church growing up and, and went into psychology and philosophy. And now she's been here in mid-Missouri for about 16 years or so. She's Her husband is a pastor at the Crossing, but she is part of the professional counseling ministry there. And she's incredible. Incredible at what she does, and her passion is to help people understand generational cycles of dysfunction and work with clients to break destructive patterns in marriages and families. And we talked about that last week. I mean, at the end of our episode, Angie was was in tears. I mean, she just was, and not in a bad or a good way, but you know, dealing with grief. I think, as Lynn said at that moment. And so, in in this week's episode, as we continue, we do want to talk about three rules of a dysfunctional family that Lynn can walk us through and how to start breaking some cycles and also what a healthy marriage as you rebuild in a new marriage can look like. Because you've already had one broken marriage and now you're trying to build a healthy one. And so those are some of the things that we'll talk about today.
2: Great, thank you guys for having me again. I'm so excited to be here.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's, it is Wait, our don't pleasure. Wait, I a
2: box of Kleenex though. We were supposed to get yes. Kleenex in here because we so had tears I might last need time. It again. <laughs> Dang.
0: Angie does not cry. It was a good stopping point last week because okay. she was feeling it. So yeah, but uh, so as we, we go through, we talk about all the different things. You mentioned to us, Lynn, that there are three rule uh, three rules of a dysfunctional family. Can you go through those and yeah. just kind of take us through that process and how to rebuild?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, a book that I have recommended to clients uh, many times over, and I always, you know, get such great feedback that it, it's so insightful for people, is a book called It Will Never Happen to Me by Claudia Black. And it came out in the 80s, so it's, it's been out for a long time. But um, she specifically speaks to the patterns that show up in an alcoholic family. But I think this is, you know, transferable to, you know, any dysfunctional family system. And so she identifies what she calls uh, the three rules of a dysfunctional family. And when I say three rules, these aren't like rules that are posted on the refrigerator. You know, like, (laughs) here's everybody's chores. Here's what we're doing for the week. And here's the rules of our family, right? These um, These are subtle. These are covert. These are the... Kind of emotional messages that are given in a home that are picked up on, but they're not necessarily explicitly discussed. But the first one that she talks about is, well, all three of them are don't trust, don't talk and don't feel. Okay. And in our last session, we talked a lot about trust and how trust is basically the foundation of any healthy relationship. If you don't have it, your relationship isn't healthy. I don't care you know, what's going on on the surface, but at the bedrock of any healthy relationship, there has to be a sense of trust. And when I say trust, I mean that a person is who they say they are. Okay. So you can't trust someone if, you know, I'm one way around this person, then I'm another way around this person. Then I'm another way around this person. We would call that person disintegrated, right? They're not a whole person. They're not an integrated Person. And the word integrated comes from the word integer, which means whole, right? So a person of integrity is a whole person. It means that I am a genuine person. Like what you see is what you get. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to lie to you. I'm not trying to use you for to, to meet my needs in some covert way. It is someone who is approachable, someone who knows
0: themselves.
2: This is so foundational to just being a healthy person. Okay.
0: I would say what you're describing, Mm -hmm. we talk a little bit about, you know, how Angie and I are very opposite in the regard that I'm overly open. She has, when we first met was not very open. I, you know, we're in our forties. So we've come from different places of brokenness. And for me, my brokenness, you and I have walked through that Lynn over years where, you know, I wasn't Whole in a lot of ways, and made a lot of mistakes. But when Angie and I first started dating, it was like I really know that I would like a future with her. So I was very open about my past mistakes and the things that I had. And she's over there like, "What is this guy telling me? Oh, like this is like more than I want to know as we're just dating." Right. But for me, it was it was you know I wanted her to know this is where I've been and this is who I'm working towards being for the rest of my life. She has come around on some of those things, right? I've told her like a year into our relationship or a year and a half even, she would start to share things and I'd be like, well, that makes me feel closer to you. I actually wish I would have known some of those things Mm -hmm. earlier in our relationship, but that's just not where she was Mm -hmm. in her growth journey.
1: Yeah, and I I didn't run away when you told me all that. (laughs) No. I mean, I thought about it Good point. Good point. <laughs> I, I stuck around. Still here. I don't know what it is. Like, what holds people back from being very open? I mean, I think there is a lot of fear. But, yeah, I'm not going to, like, on day one when we're dating, mm. spill all this hurt in really? my... It's like day seven. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe 6.5. 6. You were 6. out of the <laughs> gate. So, I yeah, it yeah. just does not come naturally to me. But it's interesting because... I did trust him more and would not think that he's mm-hmm. going to lie to me because he was brave and shared all of that, you know, and being very open. So I get it that that builds trust, right? And you know that person. But it's still very challenging to just share hurt and pain, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I would say that's... I would assume that's pretty common. I think yours. I think the a minority, actually, but, is my guess, as an mm,
0: overshare. Maybe I'm so not. Over-share.
1: Huh?
2: Yeah, I mean, everyone grows up with different messages about feelings and will my feelings be taken seriously, right? So if you grow up in a home where it's like, well, I mean, back to the (laughs) rules of a dysfunctional family, like you're not allowed to feel anything. I will say that our souls, and when I say soul, I know that's um, kind of a spiritual term, but that would embody our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, who we are, who God created us to be is our most valuable possession and we're entrusted with the caring of our souls right and so we should be careful about who we share our hearts with and who we share our souls with on the other side of the coin we can maybe be somewhat boundary less and just sort of like hey i'm just gonna tell everybody everything about myself and and i think it's both you know it's good to kind of look at Again, how you were raised and how you got those needs met and those messages that were given to you. And everyone's going to come at it from a different perspective. But essentially, in a, in a dysfunctional home, what, what the child is learning is, I can't trust mom or dad to to be there for me. Because they say one thing like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be at your soccer game. And then dad doesn't show up to the soccer game. Maybe that feeling of like when I shared something with with my mom or my dad, it was just dismissed or um, ignored or invalidated and so again there's that that message that's being sent that wow this stuff that's inside of me all these thoughts and feelings that I'm having like I can't really trust these things with this person and that's very scary to a child because back to that idea of from infancy we are a hundred percent dependent on our parents so if I'm getting messages from them that like they're not really there, like there's really no one there, or that the person that's there is manipulative or, you know, dishonest, like, you know, lying or, you know, saying things that aren't correct, that's, again, going to create a lot of internal dissonance because that's the only child's lifeline, right? So if I can't trust my parent, what can happen with that is, now I feel like I can't really trust myself, Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like now you kind of grow up with some self doubt and, like, well, I think this is right. And so, one of the things that um, in the literature about adult children of dysfunctional families is that kids grow up having to guess
0: at what normal is. So, and you were talking about dysfunctional. Okay, so we haven't talked about this uh, because it hasn't really applied. in this setting, but we do know people. We've all met people. You've counseled people that have been in abusive relationships. Yeah. Whether that's alcohol, drugs, verbal, emotional, whatever that might look like. What is it? What is that like for the kid to know that there's one parent? that's trying, mm-hmm. the other parent's really struggling, do mm-hmm. the kids feel like they need to be rescued from that scenario? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you'll talk to a parent like, well, I feel like I can't leave because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want the kid to feel like this was their fault or that I'm leaving the kid half the time. And that's right? a really that's another, it's a kind of a different topic, but it's also, yeah. it is part of that dysfunctional family that mm-hmm. does happen. And, you know, I just wonder what the kids going through the kid's mom, like sometimes is the kid going, well, my mom or dad should have saved me from the other parent mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. I don't know.
2: Yeah, that could be an entirely
0: uh, yeah, separate it could be a complete, yeah.
2: podcast. And I will just simply say that, you know, when a parent is in a situation like that, that is such an unfortunate bind, right? To have to choose, you know, do, do I stay and sort of what's better for my child? Do I stay or do I leave? But, you know, sometimes perpetuating that dysfunction, you know, really is confusing, to a child. Like if, if, if the other parent is sort of enabling that behavior or dismissing it or not taking it seriously, again, I mean, the, the end result is going to be that child not really being able to trust their own instincts, you know, like, well, my home isn't really a safe place for me, but nobody's really protecting me from what's going on here. So there's going to be fallout from that. So yeah, so I would say that that first component of of trust and and attachment and security and safety is so critical for a child's development. So when that isn't there, you know, out of the gate, there's going to be issues down the road. And then the second rule of a dysfunctional family is don't talk, right? You said something (laughs) earlier about like, we just brush stuff under the rug. We just kind of pretend that it isn't there. Tell me more about that. Like what? What
0: you? <laughs> Session oh number God, two. You
1: want me to talk? Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've learned a lot. I would say I actually can't even believe I'm saying this out loud. I've learned a lot from Eric. I'm kidding. Oh,
2: so but no, I.
1: I mean, as far as seeing, I guess I had not witnessed that in the past in Mm -hmm. relationships or from a parenting perspective where the parent sits down and has those tough conversations and really Mm -hmm. talks through stuff. Like, I feel like I do a great job of giving Mm -hmm. advice and input and all of that, but I, I don't know how to describe it, but Eric does a great job of like having those tough conversations Mm -hmm. where I feel like for me, It just is not, it doesn't feel good. You know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. I feel like I've done a good job with my kids, but then when I, but when I double click on the divorce aspect of it, Mm. I don't, I did not, I don't feel like I did a good job of really digging in with my kids when it was all happening. Mm. And the the twins were little, they were younger. It was probably more just the oldest because she was, you know, in the middle of it and old enough to understand but I have seen the value and the outcomes of, of having those tough conversations and how that does build trust with the kids. I mean, there's times where I feel like my kids will share more with Eric than maybe even me sometimes because he's just they just know me so open. Yeah. I,
0: I would say I wasn't always that way. I, I would sometimes feel bad for my own kids that I wasn't good at it before. But really in the last about five years ago when I started to really – dive into what was wrong with me, why I wasn't performing the way I should perform as a human being, a lot of what I found was, you know, from a Christian standpoint, I'm looking for this relationship with Jesus. But a lot of times as a child, that's being formulated through your parents. And what I was wanting my parents was more of their guidance, more of knowing mm-hmm. that they were there, more that they cared, the trust, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I tried to, my dad's been gone for a long time. I tried to talk to my mom a little bit about that when I was going through it in the last five years and say, here's what I wish I would have gotten from you, which I know upset her. But at the same time, we were able to kind of hug and and she, was, she apologized that, you know, when she grew up in the 50s and 60s, that just wasn't how... You were raised. You didn't You didn't tell your kids that you loved them all the time. There wasn't yeah. a lot of hugs, things like that. So in that moment, about five-ish years ago, I decided I was going to be different in that I was going to try to show I may not do it right. I don't know that I do it right all the time, right? But I was going to try to show up more in a way that was, hey, I see you struggling with this. Or, hey, I'm really proud of you for what you're doing here. Or can yeah. we talk about it and... A lot of hugs and a lot of I love yous and things like that, just because in that moment, I realized what had bothered me for such a long period of time. And it was an opportunity for me to pivot and to do it differently for my own kids. And I try to do it with your kids. I try to do it with you. And
1: Well, another thing I think, you know, obviously, like any any growth from a parenting perspective, the longer you parent, I think you learn more, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of an unfortunate thing Mm -hmm. in some, in some scenarios where you learn through the hard stuff. So you're definitely not going to get it right out of the gate either, Mm -hmm. but we're always trying to figure out how we can do better.
2: Yeah. I would say, I think you guys are making some great points. And one of the things we talk about in the parenting class is doing love versus communicating love. So you can have parents that are really good at doing love. You know, you've got new clothes for school and you've got a nice house to live in and you're providing for the physical material needs of your child. But the communicating love is what is happening on that emotional wavelength. And that's where engaging with your child, attuning to your child, being interested in what it's like to be them. That is the abiding aspect of communication. So We also talk about in the marriage class, four levels of intimacy. So the first level is like drive-through communication, right? Like you're going through McDonald's drive-through. You have a very brief interaction with that person. That's not very deep communication at all. And then the second level would be uh, like news, sports and weather. You know, you're on an elevator with someone or you're talking to your server at a restaurant. You know, you're just kind of chatting about, you know, things that, you know, are pretty comfortable to to talk about with maybe a stranger. And then level three is what we talk about um, taking care of business. So it's like, you know, maybe in a marriage, it's, you know, hey, did you turn the laundry over? And oh, you know, we've got an appointment with so and so to this afternoon, and who's picking up the kids from where? And, you know, you're doing life together and you're communicating, but that, and that's where actually most marriages live, right? It's Hmm. just sort of at that taking care of business level. But level four intimacy is what we would call abiding. It's it's oneness. It's me learning what it's like to be you and suspending my own judgment, my own perspective to slow down and to pay attention and to really connect with that person on a deeper level. And that is more rare, you know, because life is busy. And especially I would imagine in a blended family where everybody's going in a billion different directions to come together on that level for intimacy is going to probably be even more challenging just by the nature of how busy everybody is. But that is where, and that's what, you know, when we talk about even from a biblical perspective, that when God initiated that relationship with us, what he wants is to abide with us. And, and so we get a picture of that biblically, but that should be reflected in the marriage relationship as well, that level of deep Intimacy and trust. That sounds really beautiful. Let's do that. You want Let's to do that, do honey? That. Let's
0: do that could, one.
1: Could you describe what you mean by intimacy? <laughs> we I've just literally overall. had this overall. conversation. I've
0: overall. Been overall abiding, honey.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. How do you, that's our number one challenge, honestly, mm-hmm. because it's so crazy mm-hmm. busy all the mm-hmm. time that it's hard to carve out that time to really connect at that level when we do actually have time it's like we're exhausted sure from, i can imagine from work we both have demanding jobs the kids yeah. all of it you know so then you you have those check boxes that you have to talk about like right. okay what's the game plan for tomorrow right. what do we have this weekend all of those things we need groceries but then to make sure that you're having time to really connect that is literally challenge that's a big challenge yeah but
2: i will say that if couples don't do that or they don't learn to do that then the setup of the relationship is into the future where okay once these kids do launch right which hopefully they do they're hopefully not going to (laughs) live in your basement forever right um and we're
0: going to get rid of the basement one day (laughs) live
2: in a slab Um, (laughs) is that when it's just the two of you if if there hasn't been that building of that emotional connection now it's like there's distance there's loneliness there's isolation and that's the setup for gee i'm not happy i don't feel mm-hmm. seen maybe i'm not with the right person i mean so that can kind of create its own dilemma moving forward for any couple and so that's why we really encourage that and again it's not about fixing it's not about okay tell me your problem so i can make it go away it's so that i can meet you there with empathy with understanding because that's going to build those roots you know deeper and deeper and that feeds on the trust and then the last you know rule of a dysfunctional family which in our previous podcast that I hope people do listen to, because we talked a lot about feelings, which we even got Angie. I know.
1: We saw I was it. feeling the feelings. She felt <laughs> the feelings.
2: Yay. Is that is that rule of don't feel, right? Like don't show emotion, don't show weakness, don't cry, don't don't ask about how somebody's really feeling, right? Cause we kind of don't want to go there. And so when you combine, you know, don't trust, don't talk, don't feel You know, it really is a setup for kids not learning the three most critical skills. There's a lot of talk out there about, you know, emotional intelligence and emotional awareness. And if you just boil that down to its most common denominator, essentially all that means is can I identify what I'm feeling? Can I express what I'm feeling? And can I regulate what I'm feeling? I mean, that's it right there. But guess what? If we grow up in a home where we don't trust, we don't talk, and we don't feel, is the child learning how to identify, how to verbalize, how to regulate their feelings? No. Are those feelings still there? Yes. Now are they going to act out in other ways because they haven't been given the language, the tools, the ability to process? Likely. And then the setup is because we are more drawn to sticking with what is familiar to us. Now my, I might be drawn to a partner who reminds me of things that I'm familiar with, which is all the things that we're talking about, like the don't trust, don't talk, don't feel. So, so then when you ask about those generational cycles, is that the way to break those generational cycles is you essentially have to break those three rules. You have to break those three rules of don't trust, don't talk, don't feel. So now what what we're actively working on is I want to be a trustworthy parent. I want to give permission to my child to have their own thoughts and their own feelings and to know that it's safe and that I am going to Suspend so judgment, at least temporarily, to you know, <laughs> try to understand, you know, where they're coming from. I'll
0: let you know when the safe space is over. <laughs> yeah, You're right, right, right Where right. <laughs>
2: We well, got the cone of safety, and yeah. then yeah, then that goes away. But when you ask about, well, gee, you know, how do we break? And that's why you know, in last week's episode, I started off by saying how much I admire you guys because by doing this podcast by asking these questions, you are breaking those rules that bind people in those dysfunctional family patterns. Because when we don't talk, when we don't trust, when we don't feel, what happens is we have secret thoughts and feelings. And now again, I don't have anywhere to go with those things. I have no one to help me make sense of them in any kind of a broader context. And that can create that internal dissonance where I don't have anywhere to go with that. So now to regulate that, I might use unhealthy coping mechanisms, you know, food, relationships, sex, um, other forms of, you know, alcohol, like substance use, because all of those addictions are typically rooted in a person's desire to try to soothe distressing feelings when really those distressing feelings could be soothed if we could talk about them and we could process them and that felt safe to do that. A child has to borrow from the parent their mature emotional regulation because a child's brain doesn't have all that capacity yet. So if I go to my parent with a problem and they completely freak out and have this like really, you know, negative reaction... Well, now the child has two problems. I have my own feelings that weren't feeling very good. And now I have mom's feelings that don't feel really good. So what's the message? Well, I better not bring that up again. I I don't want to talk about that again, right? And so that's where we're trying to break those patterns. Because if we do so, now we're going to set our kids up for that healthier pathway so that as they start to form intimate relationships, they have some clues about what does trust look like? What what does a trustworthy person look like? What does a person of integrity look like? Because it's been modeled to me because I've seen it. And when I said, you know, person of integrity, I'm not saying a perfect person. I'm saying a self-aware person. Like not only do I get the impact that I have on you, but I get myself, you know, I, I get you know like you said at the beginning it was like hey i i know my flaws i know my mistakes and even though that feels scary what it did for you was now i can trust them because they he knows what those mistakes are you know that sets right. sets it up for you know being able to
0: trust in the future this is deep it's good stuff that's why we knew we, we knew when we asked Lynn to be on the podcast it'd probably be a two episode thing um, and and I just think it could be five I mean you have your own podcast the church hasn't yeah. given you a podcast we're, yet we're it's starting time one. Okay. actually awesome.
2: yeah we're, it hasn't hasn't launched yet but um, when it does um, in the future I will let Please. you guys know about yeah. it specifically around family
1: dysfunction
2: um, or we're gonna cover thing? lots of different topics. Um, we're going to start with four beliefs that will keep you stuck. And then from there, we're going to go into emotions and family and relationships and marriage and like all awesome. the things. So we're going to try to tackle,
0: tackle a lot, but. Uh-huh. That's yeah, great. Yeah. And of course we've referenced uh lens blog series earlier in our podcast by three months ago or so mm-hmm. we were referencing those and we'll repost the, the link to those as well. If you want to go back and listen to some of those, I know it's hard to believe we're pretty much up on time again. It's how good it's well, going.
2: Before we close, I just want to say that there are really good resources out there for yes, families. Please, And I just want to reference a couple of the ones that I was um, looking at just to prepare for our time together. And There's a a book out there called The Smart Step Family by Ron L. Deal. And I believe there's a website along the same lines where they have articles and resources that I think would be really helpful. I was also looking at a book called uh, The Long Way Home by Gary Newman. And the subtitle is The Powerful Four-Step Plan for Adult Children of Divorce. And, you know, honestly, there's, you know, lots of resources out there if you, you know, go to Amazon and, and look. But These are just the things that I've observed in my work with with clients and just my study of of relationships and and how things work. So thank you for having me. We
0: we have to ask you one more question. We ask everyone before we go. Uh You want to ask? Sure.
2: What is your favorite family tradition? Okay. So I think my favorite family tradition is that when in our family it's someone's birthday, we usually go out to eat and let them pick the restaurant. But after we've ordered food and we're waiting for food to come, we go around the table and everyone says, what is something that you like, love or appreciate about the person, you know, who's being honored? And it's just kind of a sweet moment because, again, when we're talking about sharing feelings and having, you know, those emotional connections, sometimes just some really sweet things are said, like between siblings that maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, you wouldn't normally hear, you know, I wouldn't necessarily normally hear my daughter, you know, say something so glowing about one of her brothers, (laughs) you know, um, or just, you know, when I hear Shay speak, you know, to say one of the kids like, hey, here's what I see in you. And here's the gifting that you have. And here's what I appreciate about you and what you bring to the family. That just helps me because it like, that does something for my heart, you know, mm-hmm. when I see someone else, you know, affirm someone in our family. So we're kind of a shade jokes that I grew up in a family of tributes. Like my, <laughs> we can't have any family function without somebody getting up and like giving a tribute. But I think that's because words are so powerful and they have the ability to either speak life and be life giving to a person or they can be destructive and tear a person down. So that's that's what I enjoy. Um, maybe that's something um, you guys could try too if you don't already. That's awesome. but we're stealing it. Yeah. You're stealing it. <laughs> Dane, Dane's
0: birthday's today, so yeah. be, I guess we'll yeah we'll yeah. be stealing that. Make yeah.
2: everybody yeah. go around yeah. and say what they love about Dane. That's awesome,
1: Lynn. You're awesome. Thank Aww, you so much for coming. You. Thank you for thank making you. me cry.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's hard to do. It's I, really I hard. Hear, I will take that as like as a, a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> I take that as a high, the highest compliment. Absolutely.
0: Lynn Roush with The Crossing Church. Again, we will um, share how to find her blogs. Apparently, she's got her own podcast coming, so we're excited about that. We'll share that when, when we get that. But thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess. We look forward to talking to you again next week, and God bless. Thank you for listening to Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at BlendedBlessedAlwaysAMess.com. Reach out to us on
1: any of our social channels. We would love to hear from you. Have a great week.